Feeling kind of left out at work on Monday morning? Check out The Barf, breaking news, acquisitions, research, and funding. It's a look back at the week that was so you can prepare for the week that is. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. This is William Tincup, Mariah Leary. This is Inside the C-Suite. This is where we kind of talk to CEOs about their journey. Uh, we have Michael Dadu on today, and we're going to be talking all about him, what he's currently doing, and uh, also where he's been, how he got there. So, Michael, would you do us a favor and uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, William. It's good to, sure. good to see you. We've got 100%. a lot of history together over the last uh, couple of decades, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I've currently been uh, building a new HR tech around the hiring space, which has uh, been, a, been a fun journey, pretty long journey. We've been working on it the last four years. And, uh, you know, I've been in and around this business for the last 24 years or so, really 30 years, going back to the kind of early 90s. And uh, just I've always been really passionate about problem solving. You know, that's I, I see problems and I try and figure out how to solve them and make a business out of them. And uh, and and most of my career has always been, it's been around people. It's been around people issues. And, you know, I went on a really unique journey from 2000 to call it 2016. That was, uh, that was around people and people's health, which was really fun. And obviously William, you were involved, uh, you know, quite extensively with that company in terms of our message and our brand. But uh, that was a really fun journey. And I was 30 years old and really didn't know what the hell I was doing, but uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in reps, and I figure if you just keep out repping everybody, you'll find the answer. And so, you know, my one of my favorite, I'll get the quote wrong, so I shouldn't even say quote, but, you know, Shawshank Redemption, there was a Morgan Freeman said he used to think it would take Andy Dufresne hundreds of years to dig his way out of here, and he did it in X, and just called pressure and time. So, you know, my big philosophy in life is pressure and time. Just keep showing up, work harder, and figure it out and solve problems. And, you know, today, those problems... in really over the last 20 years, 20 years have been, if you can build software to make people's lives easier. And, uh, you know, Steve Jobs said it best. If you don't focus on the customer and create a great experience, it doesn't matter how great your product is. So um, that's kind of the philosophies that we live off of when we're building things. And I think this latest project is uh, poised to do some pretty special things. So so for, for, for those that are watching, uh, they can see the helmets in the background. Those yeah. that are listening, there are helmets in the background. I knew you were going to ask about those helmets. Well, look, I don't have an exciting life. So <laughs> when I see helmets with shields on them and they're painted pretty cool colors, I need to know the story. What's what's the story behind that? There's a few on the wall. You know, so I grew up in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, and we played with toys growing up. You know, we were – that's just who we were. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was probably a little more reckless than I am at age 50, but uh, – <laughs> When I moved to Texas in 1998, I started spending more and more time on the track. Track. Uh, I know a lot of people don't think that's a safe place, but I can tell you it's the safest place in the world. <laughs> the most dangerous thing is other cars and drivers. So I've been, you know, hobbyist at racing for a long time, cars and motorcycles and those types of things. These days, it's a lot of track day fun. When I say these days, maybe four times last year because I'm a little busy, but. Uh, Back in the day, I spent a fair bit of time. I do have one of my portfolio companies is a motorsports company down just south of Fort Worth. And we do all things for motorsports enthusiasts. And so I get to go out to the track and play with the guys and uh, go karts with the kids. And and every once in a while, I get on the, the, the big bikes and 
rip around the track and, uh, and have some fun. So I've always enjoyed the, uh, the art and the thrill of being able to take a machine like that and, you know, drive a car to its capabilities. Nothing would drive me crazier than to see some, especially here in Dallas, some fancy guy with his fancy, fancy ass sports car and literally has never driven that car the way it was, the way it was meant to be driven. And uh, right. look, I'm guilty of it. I had a, a nice little success run and had some really cool toys. And uh, I remember saying one day, why the heck do I even have this car? It belongs on a racetrack. And I got rid of them and bought a race car because that's made for the racetrack. And, uh, and so it's, it's a lot of fun. It's something I wish I had more time to do these days, but my biggest passions right now are, you know, being, being a dad and, and working. So those things are a little bit on the shelf and Unfortunately, some of those helmets on the wall are there for a reason because they've got some marks on them. But uh, <laughs> as they say, there's no there's no way to find the edge or the limit until you find it. So uh, I definitely go, found, found go it over the ones that found it. Yeah. Yeah. I've never met new... anyone who's fast that hasn't crashed. So oh. and let's just say I've crashed yeah. a lot. So because that's um, the uh, that's the analogy of if you're if you're not trying, uh, that's, you know, that's uh, ultimately you, you have to crash because if you don't crash you're not trying hard enough that's right fear of right. failure and i definitely right. do not have a fear of failure i have a no. respect for the, <laughs> of the, the pain and i've got i've got the rods in my shoulder to prove it i was about to say the knee pads nice. uh nice. plenty of them and you know listen i don't recommend it but um listen it's who i am i'm a i'm a guy that's not afraid to push the limits and take some risks and uh nice. and hopefully you know get the rewards for it did you did you ski when you were in New Hampshire when oh, you were yeah. up that way? No, yeah. yeah. I'm, say, I'm assuming you black diamonds was kind of your you're not we, a we you were the green or blue. No, we would leave. We would actually have ski days at school where the bus would leave at you know twelve o'clock, you know, and we would all go to uh, Gunstock, a little ski mountain, and go up there and go skiing. So yeah, oh, that's fantastic. So reckless, not reckless, but enjoying the speed from a very adventure. Yeah. That's a better way of phrasing it. So you could have fixed anything. So with connected, obviously you looked at a lot of different things, a lot of different problems in the world. Why recruiting? Well, recruiting for me was just kind of a really weird and interesting story because when I was in college at the University of New Hampshire, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't even want to go to college. I just wanted to play hockey, and I didn't really care about much except, you know, (laughs) playing sports and you, everyone goes through that epiphany, especially at 5'11", 175, that I'm never going to be anything more than just a very average hockey player. But um, there, there was a class that said business consulting and I didn't know what it was. And I signed up for it and got in line with all these kids. Um, I did grow up, my father was in the military. So, you know, I did go to, you know, schools that required me to wear a tie. And when I was little and just seeing, you know, growing up in that life. So I, when I lined up to go to that class, I think the kids, the kids in front of me went to a daycare in Dover, New Hampshire. I have no idea what they did, probably a marketing project or something. And me and four kids went to a staffing company in Nashua, New Hampshire. And so I drove down there and I didn't have on Birkenstocks and a t-shirt like the other four uh, typical New Hampshire <laughs> children. And uh, I you know, put a shirt and tie on and showed up there and said, what do we do? And they handed me a stack of resumes and said, call these people. What do I say? They handed me a script. Like, okay. And so I start pick up the phone, call these people. You're looking for a job, contractor perm. Do you have an update? You know, just, we were cleaning their database up. That's all we were doing. Right. Right. 
and I forget, I might've been there. I was a pretty brash young man, but I, you know, I had a lot of respect and I, but I looked at this uh, woman that I was working for and I said, how much money do you make? And I think she told me she made like 65 grand. This is 1992. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, Whoa, like that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's a lot of money. For doing this, <laughs> like all you do is, do is call people, and then they look for this, and you match these things together. Like wow. Anyway, I started working there every day after school. I would leave. I didn't have class. I'd drive down there, and they were like, "Look, your grade's done. We'll tell them you're you're in." And they started paying me, and so I started working there every single opportunity I could. I would drive down there, yes, on my motorcycle. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I would uh, I would work there, and so when I got out of school, I went and worked for their competitor in Boston. You know. <laughs> market um, and moved to downtown Boston and worked for this company and we were just doing recruiting. So I did some recruiting and sales. I worked there for a couple of years. Interesting. You know, the IT business back then was, was crazy. I was working for this company. We were all suited up, you know, Oh yeah. there's cufflinks, you know, the whole nine yards, you know, we're calling on fidelity and digital and Motorola and EMC and all these new England based companies. Oh yeah. And so I worked there for a few years and then I, I ran into a guy who I, who was doing recruiting and he was doing contract recruiting and he told me how much money he was making. And I was like, Whoa, really? Like this is even easier. Like I don't have to sweat commissions and closing deals. Like different game. Yeah. But the big thing for me was I was like, man, I can go work there as a contractor. So I went and worked for this software company for like six or nine month contract. Then I got hired to work in another contract for a research company. Uh, called the Aberdeen Group. Fascinating. Like, I didn't know anything about research companies. I'm working in downtown Boston in this high rise. I'm 23 years old. I'm so young. Oh, yeah. I'm handling all their hiring. And then I went to work for another company. Then I went to work for Genetics Institute. I just kept doing these contracts. And what was interesting to me about them is I was getting exposure to all these different businesses, like learning how businesses, I learned how a drug was built. And right. uh, this biotech company had its massive drug coming out called Numega, Numega Opreblicate. And they had always built drugs and co-licensed them out to other shearing plow, whoever the whoever right. had that division. Well, this was a billion dollar drug. It was uh, it basically restored your platelet levels when you're going through chemo to shorten the cycles down. Right. right? So they said, we want to build a sales force. I'm like, okay, let's. So I joined the team. I think there were like three recruiters on the team. And then there was three of us that flew all over the country. Now this is pre TSA. So right, I right, would right. fly to Midway airport and go to the Admiral's club and salespeople are great. You call 10 salespeople, you get 45 calls back. So, you know, they would, I would literally fly into a city and have a nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two, three. I would interview people all day long. And we hired 125 people in four months. We built a national sales force, you know, regional business, area business manager, regional business managers, and then all these reps and successfully launched, uh, launched this. I, I was starting a training company with a friend of mine up in Boston, uh, you know, Windows Word Excel, tra Excel training type of stuff. And I was actually teaching a lot of classes. We started this company called Progressive Solutions with my buddy, Mark. Um, and I was doing some contract stuff and just having a great time. And a friend of mine who was uh, that I, I lived with his little brother in Boston. He we all worked at the same company. He started a business in D.C. and he kept wanting me to come work for him. And I was like, listen, dude, I'm not moving to Chicago, New York or D.C. I live in Boston. They're, they're all the exact same place. I'm not moving here. And he called me one day in 1998 and said, what about Dallas? And I knew nothing about Dallas except the Cowboys. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't know anything about Dallas. That was enough not, not to go. 
<laughs> so I, I jump on a plane in April, come down here, uh, try to check this, you know, concrete jungle out. And uh, I remember I, we went out to lunch on Saturday and I got completely sunburned in about two seconds, you know, sitting outside in 30 minutes. Flew home and I thought, you know, my mom had just moved to Florida and I said, you know, why not? If I'm ever going to, I can always come back. I, this mark, you know, what I do for a living is easy. Uh, why not? I'm never going to leave Boston if I don't. You know, I've been here my whole life in New England. So I moved here uh, May 31st, 1998, Sunday night, landed in Dallas, went to work at the Galleria Tower June 1st, Monday morning. And, uh, you know, back in the, you know, the grind, we were doing consulting based work. So essentially we were building software or doing consulting projects that big guys wouldn't do because they were too small. So a lot right. of like million dollar contracts and we did a bunch in the telco space with MCI up there and Richardson for a lot of years, built their order entry system, um, got acquired pretty fast, um, working for another company. Then that company got acquired. Now I'm working for a massive company. I'm employee three, two, seven, eight, nine dash B or something <laughs> like this isn't for me. I, I got to get out of here. Uh, um, and so, but you've fallen in love with Dallas at this point. I'm here to stay. I think, you know, I remember (laughs) I flew home. I I used to call home, uh, for Christmas one day. And I remember walking off the plane at Logan airport and it was like 10 below the wind was blowing. And I'm like, get me out of here. (laughs) I'll take the heat. So, you know, I'm definitely here to stay at this point. Uh, found myself working at a PEO. You know, I thought this was interesting. Outsourcing HR, hiring and managing people and visa issues and all this stuff for, you know, gosh, going on almost 10 years now. This might be a really good fit for me. And so I'm working at this PEO in Dallas, small PEO, and I'm talking to local businesses in Dallas about PEO services. And quite honestly, nobody gave a shit about payroll Mm -hmm. benefits. Nope. It was a little too early, I think. Um, but what they did really care about was healthcare. Yep. Right. All asked me, asked me the same question. How much is your healthcare? And, you know, keep in mind, I grew up very active, very athletic, you know, played hockey and all this kind of stuff, gym every day, eating like a crazy person, you know, healthy. And I'm working at this PEO and it was the first company I had ever worked for that actually looked like America. I never worked for a company. Every company I worked for was just a bunch of me's in there, right? We all went to the gym at lunch. We all played softball after work. We, we were it was like a literally a clone of just the exact same human being. Yeah. Shit, I think we even dressed the same. And it was like dress code. We blue suits or gray suits, no double breasted. You know, it was yeah. like a factory. We're like clones. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm working in a company where 65% of them were overweight, 32% weekly obese. Right. And these were all national numbers. And I'm going, wow, like, do you guys have a birthday cake every morning at 10 a.m.? Like, is it always a birthday party? Is anybody going to go to the gym with your lunch today? Like, if, like if it was... is, there, is there, there's more donuts? There, there's more donuts in the break room. Got it. Yeah. And, uh, so I remember I was going to work out one day at lunch, and the receptionist said to me, her name was Kat Stevens. Probably shouldn't say that. You might have to beep that out. She was the vice president of first impression. She's a great lady, phenomenal woman. She asked me for help. Um, and she said, Hey, Michael, you were, and I had only worked there a few months. So here she is asking a 29 year old guy, uh, Hey, how do I get healthy? You know, I think I'm 30 years old at this point. Could you give me some exercise to do? And I'm thinking, wow, the courage it took that woman to ask me for help of all people, like just a regular guy, you know, I don't, I don't understand this. And so I really took it to heart. I went to the gym that day, 
looked around at all the same people that are in the gym because it's basically the same group of people, this little network, and started thinking about how flawed the gym model was and how 82% of people join a national fitness chain, go twice or less, and never go back. And, you know, all these things. And then people are dying, are dying in the workplace. And I'm watching, you know, I'm watching health around me just deteriorate. And I'm talking to companies about healthcare costs and they just wanted to know if it was cheaper. So back then it was about three grand, 3,200 per employee per year. But the study said by 2008, it was going to hit 7,500. And by 2010, it was going to hit 10 grand, which by the way, it all did. It, wow. it rocketed up. And I just said to myself, man, companies are going to have to get in the game. They're going to have to start taking care of their employees. And this isn't about gym memberships. This is about giving people personalized help. So when I sat down at lunch that day, after I worked out, Cafe Brazil, chicken breast, side of spinach, typical meal, I flipped my napkin over and said, what does she need? What does she really need? What, what can I write down that she's actually going to do and it's going to improve her health? And I remember all I wrote down was motivation and accountability. It didn't really matter what she did. She just needed to do something. She needed to just get up, move, yeah. walk better, make two better choices a week. Stop, stop eating this, do this. Just, you know, the problem is everyone's chasing perfection instead of just making progress. Let's just do these things for a week, two weeks, three weeks, make it a part of our lifestyle and then do this. You know, people ask me all kinds of crazy stuff about health. Should I do this? Should I do this? And it's like, man, all the stuff you see me do is all part of a massive cycle. Individually, they're going to do absolutely nothing for your health. But together, you can have optimal health. And so I had, you know, pretty good success when I was younger enough and I was fortunate enough where I could take a risk. So I started this company, had a horrible name. Uh, it was called Elite Wellness. And uh, I, in hindsight, it was really stupid. But I, I, uh, I set out to build a corporate wellness company. Uh, a guy that I played hockey with, brilliant technology guy, got him to come on board. We started building what we called health management software, where we could go into a population and assess them, ask them questions, check all their biometric data, data, and then we did something really unique, which we integrated with the carriers to pull in the raw claims feeds. And so now I had a really clear picture of how William thinks he feels, what's really going on inside the engine, and is he behaving in the health plan appropriately? Because, you know, obviously prevention is the key, driving people into the system, condition management, so on and so forth. It took about three, four years, about 07. I remember I got a client to sign a six-figure deal and was like, wow, we did it. <laughs> This is, you know, six figures in wellness was a, was a landslide yeah. yes. software. And uh, then 08, we had a pretty, pretty special year. By 2007, we signed, you know, a couple hundred thousand, then another quarter million dollar deal. And then somehow we signed a $1.7 million contract with a pretty big company. And uh, it was off. We were off to the races. We took that company and the next few years were kind of blurry, to be honest with you, you know, hiring hundreds of people and, having clients in every, in every state and being at the airport every day. And uh, it was really cool. It was fun. There were some nice awards and accolades over the years. Um, it was, you know, it, was, it really was a blur being, you know, that young and figuring it out and seeing it happen and, you know, uh, all the way to an exit, which was, which, was, uh, which was pretty cool to take a nap. And then all of a sudden, all this cool shit happens. But uh, it was fun. We had a really cool culture. I hired this marketing firm called Star Tin Cup back in 2000, I think I had seven and said, listen, I hate this name. I don't like it. It's, not, you know, people are asking me if I'm a chiropractor, my Car dog, dog food says wellness on it. I'm tired of this. And so William and his team, Brett, uh, 
took me through this branding process. I took no one in the company with me. Uh, I just told our Dave, my CTO, I said, listen, here's what we're doing. And uh, taught me about branding and naming and how we do it. And they had, I'd go into their office and office and they had all these names on the wall. And uh, the, the Latin word Viva was up there. And we played off all these iterations. William even said it wrong earlier, even though he came up with the name. It was Vivere that we did. It was V-I-V-E-R-A-E. We talked about the pros and cons. Like, nobody can pronounce this thing. Like, what does this mean? But <laughs> we did it. I rebranded the company five years in, which was kind of scary. But, uh, you know, it liked it. You know, it, it took off. It had a really cool, you know, it had a story behind it. And we got to tell our story and really be whoever we wanted to be. And so, you know, we grew through a pretty difficult time. Eight, nine, ten were not great times in the U.S. And we doubled our business through there. No issue. Um and uh, yeah, it was a super fun time. Lots of lessons learned, but uh, you know, to see and grow a company like that was uh, was a huge accomplishment. So um, yeah, it was a it was a wild story. So you know, here I I was in the HR space, but now kind of over here. You know, I was talking mm-hmm. to HR people all day long, but it was about a about a different topic. And uh, you know, we exited that business um, twenty sixteen. Um, so that was that was fun. You know, I'm I don't know. 42 years old or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, 43. And If you like swiping, then head over to Substack and search up Work Defined. W-R-K Defined. And subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You, my my guy's going to retire. Or what do I do now? And, you know, it's home for a bit. And uh, it's just time for me to get back to work. And I was playing at the track. And I started a motorsports company and super into some health things, uh, IV therapy and stuff like that. So I started an IV therapy company and ended up, my wellness company. So I was operating these portfolio businesses. And, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, I've hired every marketing firm in DFW over the last, you know, X amount of years, 20 years. And so I decided to start my own marketing company to support my portfolio companies, just bring it in house. Marketing really was changing so much, um, especially with social media and how they're taking over the world and you know, how you acquire customers and how your website website needs to operate. So we just, we brought that all in house. And then uh, my tech guys needed to come back because uh, we we're family and uh, they were working for the company that bought us. And so we, we brought them, brought them back in maybe quietly for a little bit until the, the legal times were right. But uh, we started a development company. We started working on software that we thought was really cool. And we were building some compliance software, which actually turned out to be really interesting because of COVID companies are trying to figure out how to be compliant. Mm. What do we do if somebody has COVID? What are we, how are we supposed to notify everybody? And so we, we had a really cool piece of tech that was, was there. We were hiring people in 2019 for the marketing firm. And I remember this gal was working for me and I walked into her office and she was reading resumes. And I literally <laughs> went, we still do that? Like, Here we go again. Like, no, you gotta be kidding me. I right? like people still apply to jobs with resumes today in this digital world. She's like, yeah. So I said, let me ask you a question. What are you doing right now? Like, what do you do? She goes, well, I'm trying to find them on social media, look them up on LinkedIn. I'm just trying to see what they look like. I want to hear them talk. And I'm watching her. I'm going, my God, like, this is archaic. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And it, I had this sort of deja vu moment of 2003, where I went back into my office and I started looking what was out there for a minute, because I'm not a big you know, worry about what other people are doing. But I looked at the tools that were out there and like, this is archaic. We don't need to be tracking people. We need to be engaging people. 
we need to, you know, we need to start treating applicants like customers. We need to give people a chance to tell their story because people have a voice. Like I'm supposed to take my entire career and put this on a piece of paper and you're going to judge me by that. Like this makes no sense. Like I'm a person, I have a story. I need to be heard. And then I read that 68% of people would quit their job tomorrow, whether they don't like their boss, the cost, the company, the morals, their pay, their coworker, you know, whatever the case may be, but they don't. Why don't they? Well, put your job, you know, put your resume on a job board, you risk losing your current job. You can't change your, and so the people that are out there are the ones looking, which isn't a problem, but the good people that we're trying to attract are sitting there. So how do we build something that's private? How do we give people a voice? You know, I was, I was talking to our new CMO who worked for us, you know, 10 years ago. And I said, think about this. If somebody on your team wants to go on a job interview right now, what do they have to do? And she was guessing and guessing. I go, let me just give you the answer. They have to lie to you. They have to lie. Right. The entire process causes people to act immoral. They have to lie. I have a doctor's appointment. You don't have a doctor's appointment. You're going on a job interview, right? <laughs> you have to lie. I got fired from my first job. I remember Mark called me into his office and he's like, where were you? And I was like, uh, he was like, you're on a job interview. He's like, yeah. he's like, get out of here, get out of here. Now, luckily I got the job. It was at that software company. But I had to lie to him and that's not, that's not a good way to be. So, no. um, so anyway, we wanted to build a place, a, an ecosystem, two ecosystems where people could tell their story, where people could be heard, where people don't have to go on first and second round interviews. Where, and my whole goal was if step one is I need to hire someone, if step 10 is they're hired, I truly believe that we could digitize 95% of this process. And by digitize, I actually mean humanize. Right. You know, use the tools. My children, I mean, my son has sent me five Instagram messages today. I think it's the only way he knows how to communicate, right? <laughs> Short form video and asynchronous communication is how we talk. You know, and it's, I think it was Chris Rock did a comedy show and he said, my parents, I have talked to my wife in the last five years more than my parents have talked in their entire life. My dad would go to work at 6 a.m., come home at 8 p.m. We could have died at 8, 8, 8 a.m. He wouldn't have known about it until he got home. My wife and I are texting back and forth all day. The exchange of information is at an all-time high. And by the way, it's not going anywhere. But yet no. applicants submit their life work and say, I want to come work for you, right? Like this is a huge decision in your life and they don't hear anything back. What an awful process this is. The engagement of hiring is just archaic. So I started looking at HR tech in general and I found that the HR tech that was really killer, that was good, a lot was HRIS forward. Right. Right. So the post hire stuff has gotten really good. The payroll companies, they've just gotten better, like apps and, you know, but, and then we've digitized job boards. That's great. But to right. be honest with you, they're very noisy, loud networks and it's really <laughs> tough to, they're not humanized. And then a lot of the, the other tech that I found was trying to make the process better. The problem is the process is broke, broken. The entire process is broken. We're getting hundreds of people to apply. It takes human time, way too much to get through these. I don't know who's really, I know they're interested because they've applied, but yet when I call them, they don't call me back and you know, two and a half hours to get to a first interview to only find out this isn't a good chemistry fit. And, and so we just set out to build something new and fresh and modern, but also built on the right tech stack that was built for scale. And that's it's super important. A lot of the legacy technology is, listen, if you're not, we've, we've been working with AI for before, before AI went pub, you know, became a household name, 
right? You've got to use these tools. It's not about having it sitting out there. It's about bringing it into your tech stack and making sure it's scalable. And, uh, and so we, we set out to do that. And so I, I, I love the word connect because that's what we were doing. The domain was available for $9.8 million, C-O-N-N-E-C-T. Uh, so, uh, so I decided to drop some letters, C-N-E-C-T, you know, and, and I started to connect. And I said, you know what? Uh, pressure and time. We're going to Andy Dufresne the shit out of this thing, and I'm going to make it work. And we did it. Uh, we, we got it built. You know, we got the product built in 2022. Uh, tested it out with our family and friends and it was working really good. Realized we needed to plug into the ecosystem. William's actually uh, been an advisor to the company. Um, Talked about job distribution. How do we plug into the networks of folks to drive traffic in? So we built a lot of that out in 2022. And then last year we spent uh, all of our efforts on what we call multi-tenancy. You know, for example, we're about to sign a, a company that's got three brands, nine locations. They all need their own careers pages. They all have their own story to tell. So our multi-tenancy technology works really great in that realm. And, uh, and we just kind of stayed under the radar, radar. We stayed in stealth mode for, you know, until we were ready, you know, we could have launched earlier. We could have done these things earlier, but I wanted to make sure it was right in that it worked and that we were built for scale. I could put 10 million people on our platform tomorrow and it won't break. And it's, and it makes people happy and it works. And, and I love seeing people tell their story. And so here I am 2024 from 30 something years ago, uh, you know, looking at, you know, no more resumes, digital profiles. I think everyone will have a digital profile in the future. Uh, I love the concept of being able to click a button and hear someone tell their story in their own voice, in their own words. And then, exchange digital dialogue back and forth with them and get to know them. And it's just happening. And I, I got this quote from this guy once and he said, hiring doesn't need to take days, weeks, and months. It can be hours, minutes, and seconds. And, you know, we, we can do that with our system. And uh, what I've seen so, so far in the data over the last year is we are reducing the human time by 90%. And we also have a 95% final interview to offer accepted ratio. So think about that. Think about a retail company or a restaurant group that has a 60% no-show rate. (laughs) I'm not talking about offer accepted ratio because Mm -hmm. we know that the more people interact with our system, right, the more they apply to a job. And when someone applies to a job, it's like, hey, William, thanks so much. We got your resume. Tell us what we got your digital profile. Tell us more about yourself immediately. And all of a sudden he's like, holy shit, like I'd never even thought that. I can download this app and I can see the status of my application. Tell us more. Well, if William doesn't get back to me for three or four days, he's probably not that interested. But the right. applicants that are engaging. And so we can automate the interview process, meaning tell me all the questions you want as a hiring manager. I'll, I'll make sure they're all asked and I'll spread them out over time. We'll create, we'll create some engagement right. and we can present to the hiring manager the most complete picture that anyone's ever seen of a person. Meaning, here is their profile. Here's what they've done. Here's the answers to the questions you wanted to know. Here's what they had to say about themselves. Here's their technical answers. Here's their personal answers. Here's their culture answers. And you can make a decision in minutes because you're looking at something that is so much more broad than anything they've ever seen. So, um, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Brian, I, I know you've got a ton of questions. I, I, I clearly have questions, but go ahead. No, go for it. I'll let you uh, take the first who, step. Who thrives around you, Michael? What type of person thrives around you? 
Yeah, I'd say somebody who's patient, you know, for sure. I mean, <laughs> listen, this isn't the place where you're going to sit back and, uh, you know, grow, grow grass under your feet. Um, listen, I'm a high energy guy. You know, there's no doubt about it. And I'd rather, you know, swing and miss, right? You're going to the right. Hall of Fame if you bat 350. So that means you, you know, you probably suck. less than that. Yeah, probably less than that, right? So <laughs> listen, I'm a take shots, work, try, effort, yeah. you know, take reps, pound away. Uh, People like change. You know, I'm not going to sit back. You know, someone asked me a couple of years ago, she said, when are you going to be happy with the product? And I said, never, never, absolutely never. Um, I'll never be. I'll, I'm, I'm, well, I'm happy today. I think it's fantastic, but I'm laying in bed trying to figure out how to, you know, I've got a, a couple of concepts that are going to push us even further ahead and build up the next step of things. So right. now that's not how software works. You know, it's not a house. You don't build it and live in it. It's constantly needing updates earlier earlier as we kicked off you you said you don't fear anything but you've learned to respect talk talk about that a little more because i think a lot of people that listen to to this show or that will listen to the show they're just scared right they're afraid to take that step into either entrepreneurship or to push whatever they're doing that that little bit further to make it better yeah listen i think there's everyone's got a little bit of fear, but I, I think where people make a mistake is they, they try and do too much too soon. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's this sort of concept of just figuring out what you're capable of doing. Right. And, and then doing a little bit more. But what I see a lot of people do is they find their, their capability, they find their pace, they find their, their groove and they never push even further. I mean, you'd be surprised right. at what you can do. You know, I, as crazy as this sounds, I, you know, I, I, I'm a big health crazy guy. And I decided I was going to, I, I, you know, I did a 36 hour fast and I said, I'm going to do this three day fast. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, there's no way I can get through this. I did an 84 hour fast in January, like nothing, nothing but water, 84 hours. And it wow. wasn't for any other reason. I was just, what I read about it was the long-term impacts of, you know, not getting cancer and dementia and all that stuff, which I'm really into. Uh, especially as I have, you know, teenage kids and I want to be there when, you know, I'm 70, I want to be that, this, uh, this role, but, uh, you know, just mentally pushing yourself through it. I think people get too wrapped up in fear instead of going and embracing. And then also if it doesn't work, just learning why and figuring that out. And so, you know, taking the first step, I think for a lot of folks is the hardest because it's overwhelming. But if there's anything I've learned is that the entire world we live in just sets people up to fail. And it starts with our health right? The, the, the food we eat, I saw yesterday that, uh, six, it used to be 10 years ago, 61% of all kids diets were made up of, you know, highly processed foods. And now it's up to 71%. Well, you wonder why obesity is on the rise. Like I didn't eat that when I grew up. And so, you know, it starts with your health. Kids are more and more inactive. Adults are more and more inactive. The number one form of communication is our phone. We're watching videos on our phone. Uh, and so it, it just breeds this level of contentment instead of driving forward. Like we're, we're capable of so much more if we just put in the work and, and, you know, I just tell people to just move, like get started, like take care of your body first, take care of your mind, you know, get up earlier, just, and you'd be surprised at what, yeah, my kids laugh because it's eight 30. I'm like, well, daddy's hitting the sack because I gotta get to bed at four or nine. Cause I'm up at four 30 or five. But, uh, 
you know, just, I, I think it's the fear of, fear of failure so much instead of just embracing the knowledge you can learn from trying something. So you, you, when leadership over the last couple of years for you leading, uh, I guess you would have been with a bunch of Gen Xers and probably some millennials with your last company as you started, you're probably touching on more millennials and Gen, Gen Zers and probably even uh, younger than that. What is, what has that changed in you? What have you seen? Patience. Kind of in, in, <laughs> Lots of patience. Their uh, patience or your patience? Mine, uh, mine for sure. Look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an old school guy. I'm yeah. Today, I have yeah. employees all over the United States and some are all over the world, and people work from home, and yep. it's different. That's a different yeah. mindset. It is. Uh, it's not one that I. Uh, particularly like because I find that I'm more productive in a particular environment. But Dave, you know, my CTO has taught me a lot about, hey, look, we can manage these workforces, learning, learning how to manage a remote workforce, learning how to manage. If you can manage a remote workforce and make them highly productive and our entire development team isn't here, I think it's one or two of them here, but they're all over the United States and they're incredibly productive. Right. We manage them differently, right? We have these sprints and we all live in a Zoom meeting all day long and we talk to people and they're, they're just, it's just a different way of, of managing folks. And I think the rest of it around, you know, the, the, the generation that's coming up and their expectations, I do see those expectations tempering a little bit uh, yeah, in too. the workplace where we just don't tolerate it, you know, and, and yeah. they're real easy things to do from a management perspective. Just start scheduling your meetings at 8 a.m. Schedule yeah. your other meetings at 5 p.m. If you're tired of them sliding down the dinosaur back, you know, I, I don't understand that stuff. I don't understand why people, I used to tell them, if the game starts at this time, I never left with three minutes left in the game so I could beat traffic. You know, no, I hate that. That, that is the absolute worst. But, yeah. It's the world we live in. So you just have to, you have to build that culture. And I think, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard to do. And, you know, culture of a company is driven by the chemistry of the people. And unfortunately, you know, one of my favorite sort of theories in life is it's called chemistry and timing. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a, a friends, if it's a couple, a spouse, a mm-hmm. job, chemistry and timing both have to be equal. And yep. a lot of times we make the decision based on timing instead of chemistry. People do it all the time. Oh, I need yep. to get married. I don't, I need a, I need a girlfriend. It's time for me to settle down and we make the wrong choice or we certainly do it in jobs all the time. And I know companies really do this. Mm -hmm. Like I got to get somebody in here. That's better than nothing. Well, that hire can literally set you back, not just from, yeah, they come in and fill a void for a certain timeframe, but they can also cause, they, they start chipping away at the culture of your organization that you work so hardly to build. The culture is driven by the chemistry of the people. And so how can we speed up learning about somebody through the hiring process? Like by asking them questions like, hey, tell me what you're passionate about. You know, it's a great question. Just ask them, you know, start to really, we got to work with these folks day in and day out. And there are roles that this stuff is really, really crucial. So, you know, I'm, I'm really big on, you know, building a a great team. You know, we're not perfect at it, but I think we've done a really good job, uh, you know, over the course of my my career, we really, you know, care about people. You know, we were back in the wellness healthcare days. We we did a great job of taking care of our staff, I believe, and uh, it was it was really a fun place to work. And so we 
motivated people in the right ways. It wasn't all economics. You know, there's yeah. things you can do to, you know, treat people right. I, I remember when we shut down a Christmas party, said <laughs> we were getting too big. So instead of spending 50 or $100,000 $100, on taking 200 people out, I was like, let's go to Best Buy and buy like 50 TVs and, you know, game consoles. And we put them in, we did all these giveaways, you know, just, you know, just, yeah. it was more fun. I don't want to hang out with your spouse anyway, to be honest much with you. Better, much better that way. Yeah. It's better, right? Better for HR. I can yeah. tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Out at four o'clock and go in the car the training room and just have some fun together. And yeah. Yeah. I, got, I got a question for you around, and this is more, I think, uh, do you ever get into your own head? Right. So I, I hear you talking and I'm thinking you've got a ton of shit going on. Oh. You ever get in your own head and you're like, yeah, I shouldn't do that. And like, how do you navigate that? Cause like, I'm, I'm, I'm following you everywhere. Like I, I love the story and I'm just thinking so many people, they get in their head and they stop, not even get started. They stop. They don't mm-hmm. know how to navigate that. I feel like you're really good at that. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, it's funny today is a perfect example. I had an 11, 11, 30, uh, 1230, one, I've got a two, which I'll be late for, and a 330. My 1130 canceled. And I got a lot of my plate, a lot of my brain. And I worked out this morning at seven o'clock. <clears throat> and uh, I left. I, I left the office. I went and sweat for an hour. I came back completely drenched. Uh, it, it, I, I got to think and I got to find those times to think. And so yeah. a lot of my thinking happens, you know, at night, especially to my wife's chagrin, she's like Sunday at about four o'clock. She's like, Oh yeah, he's already gone. You know, <laughs> I try and shut it down so I can at least you get left. some time. But you know, I just, I try and think through it, but honestly, I, I it comes back to this. No matter what, i got to keep digging that hole. You know, I just yep. got to keep digging. So maybe this isn't the right thing to do, but you know, I'm just going to keep trying and, and, and then, you know, get the feedback, learn from it, see what's working. Why is this, you know, not happening? Why isn't this progressing, progressing? You know, the answer is always in the market. The answer is always in the people talk to the people. And one of the coolest things about connect is, you know, I've shown this thing now thousands of times I've seen, I've shown it to the greatest HR minds in the world. I've shown it to 13 year old kids and they all go, wow, it's, it's a really cool story. And, and it's so applicable and it makes so much sense and it, it feels good to be doing something positive, which I think is uh, really a treat. But yeah, look, it's not, uh, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. There's a lot of tough days, you know, you know, starting a company and, you know, making a decision last year that we're going to put revenue off for another year and spend millions of dollars, which is, you know, we're spending quarter million dollars a month on development and just to, to do that. But I believed in my heart, it was worth it. And I, I knew that we were on the right track. So yeah, listen, I'm not void from, from fear, but you know, you got to own your decisions and stand up to your mistakes, your mistakes and, you know, and, and not be afraid to say that that didn't work. And I'm not, right. I'm not afraid to say that, but I'm going to keep on swinging. When do you Josh know it's time? Yeah. Oh, my bad. Well, one last question. How do you know okay. it's time to say, goodbye to that idea so in in all honesty i I knew it was time at vivari because i wasn't having fun anymore right um it was wasn't my job was completely different i felt like my office turned into a giant toilet bowl it was just (laughs) problem central like nobody came it was well it's same thing when you were on the on the it side and you got acquired to get acquired to get acquired. You said your badge number. I think I heard Niner in there at one yeah. point. You know, at that point, uh, it just became, it wasn't fun. 
yeah, I, I, I know what I'm, where I'm supposed to be. And I like building things in the minute. High I growth. don't feel right. like I get to build things. And then it's just time to move on. And mm-hmm. the, the, the biggest difference between this version of me and the, the version, you know, you know, 10, 15 years ago is just, you know, experience, you get, you know, just being in the ring and sort of knowing the outcomes and knowing what could potentially happen. And, and, and I think that the biggest lesson I've learned, the biggest takeaway, and I think more people should do this. And it also comes to, you know, ties into mental health and not to get on a soapbox, but talking is a really important thing, right? You know, you talk about people don't talk about how they feel. And so as an executive, it's really important to have, uh, people in your life. It's really important to have advisors. You know, I can pick up the phone and call my buddy, Eric and say, dude, this is what I got going on. Tell me your two thoughts. And he works in a completely separate industry, right? But we can talk. I can call William and be like, Hey, dude, what do you think about this? I'm trying to do this. And I think having the courage to not know all the answers and, and, and to, to tap into your network and say, you know what, dude, I need your help. Like I'm out like, or I'm stuck. Here's where I'm thinking about going. Trust me, William will tell me exactly where he thinks I should go. Like he's he's not void of an opinion, right? And so, I think that's another big component in, in terms of making sure that you surround yourself, not just your employees and your team. You know, that I don't need a bunch of yes people. I love you know Robin, our CMO. I remember when she started at uh, at the very back in the day. I marched into her office and I said, "Hey, let's put the pink ribbon behind the logo for Breast Cancer Awareness Month." And she looked at me and said, "No." And I was like, what do you mean? No, like <laughs> no one says no to me. Like I'm the, I'm the idea guy. Like, let's do this. And she had a reason for it. She goes, we're trying to build this brand. We cannot be messing around with the colors and the logo. We're not Google, like knock it off. And she said, no. And I was like, I literally walked back to my office and I tell to my legs, like, wow. Like, but I was actually happy that she told me what she felt and look, that's right. why I hired her. So, right. you know, making sure you sure you empower people to tell you the things and, and listen, if, if they don't agree and you say, look, we're going to do this anyway, and I'll, it's on me if we fail, but let's get our oars in the water and let's start rowing, um, you know, and dealing with those things. So, yeah, I, I guess the answer is just being able to, I'm not void of having concerns or fear, but I've learned to pick up the phone and talk to folks and say, you know, actually, I don't want to pick up the phone. I need to see your face when I say this, because I need to see if you're like, dude, you're nuts or that's brilliant or yeah, let's try that. And I got to tell you, just William alone has given me three or four really good things. You know, listen, he's given me probably 30 things, but he's given me three or four really good things. And I would tell you two of them saved me four to six months of detracting labor, which probably saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars. So having the courage to talk to folks, I think is really important. Chops Mike walks, walks off stage. Brother, I know you got to get on your next thing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Good to see you, bud. Appreciate you. I get it. The podcast just isn't enough. That's all right. Head over to your favorite social app, search up Work Defined, W-R-K Defined, and connect with us.